Welcome to the Freedom House Church Weekend Message. Today, you'll be hearing an exciting message from a communicator on our teaching team. Whether you're just waking up, on your way to work, or going for a relaxing evening walk, we know this message will equip you to experience Christ's freedom today and every day. So enjoy. Welcome to Freedom House. We are so glad to have you braving the winter weather to come to church today. We are so glad to have you. And for all of those that are joining online, we're glad that you're watching Charlotte Mecklenburg Detention Center. We are so thankful that you're tuning in. We have California, Georgia, Oregon. Glad the West Coast is watching. Y'all need to be watching. South Carolina, Virginia, Guatemala, so glad you're watching and glad for everyone that is in here today. Um, We are in a series called For Better or Worse, and I love the fact that around here as a church, we do talk about the for worses, because I think sometimes there are pictures that are painted that the white picket fence and all of those things, um, sometimes that's the idea that we have. But how many of you know that's not real life? Everything isn't roses. It's not all white picket fences. So we're going to dive in and we're going to keep continuing in this series to talk about the highs and the lows because we need to learn how to navigate storms. You see, boats aren't built to just sit in the dock. They are built for the seas. And when you're facing the seas of life, there are storms that come. And that's why it's so important to make sure that your boat is fortified. You see, water is supposed to be on the outside. When it comes on the inside, it'll sink the ship. So it's so important for us to talk about marriages and really strengthen you and build you up in your family. That's a lot of what's going on in our society right now is the breakdown of the family. So we're here to build the families back up. And I'm excited because um, for those of you who aren't familiar with how we do things here at Freedom House, all of our campuses have live teachers and speakers. We're not a video venue. So each campus, you We've got somebody that is preaching a live, fresh word from God, Uh, and we have a dear friend of mine who has been one of my dearest friends for um, over a decade. She's here all the way from San Diego. Um, She's Australian, but God had her and her husband moved to uh, uh, San Diego, California. Years ago, they planted there, and so I'm excited that she is here and going to be pouring into us today. You're going to love her. She's sweet and sassy and all of that all rolled up into one. She's a powerhouse. So do this for me, Freedom House. Jump up on your feet today. Give it up for Pastor Leanne Matesius. Well, good morning. Amazing. Happy Valentine's Day. Before you take a seat, just give a huge smile to the person next to you. If they're your spouse, give them a big old kiss. Great job. Nice work on the front here. Grab your seats. Welcome to everyone online. We had a great night, Friday night, all the authentic women. It was... So much fun, such a delight to be here. We love your pastors. We've known them for about 12 or almost 13 years. And uh, we're kindred spirits, I think. 
I think they are carrying on the East Coast a little of what we have in the West Coast. And we are building the church in California. Believe it or not. Yes, because Jesus is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And even if the gates of hell look like the government and uh, Gavin Newsom, so be it. So here's the great thing about getting naturalized because I was born in Australia, but I became an American citizen. So we went through the naturalization process is that we had to learn the constitution. So I think my husband and I actually know more about American history than most Americans. So we had to learn the Constitution, we had to learn the First Amendment. So when they tried to tie us down with all these governmental rules, and we're watching people's lives shipwrecked during a season of isolation, we're like, heck no, we're open our church doors. And we were in the heat of the media for a couple of weeks. But you know what? If you push back in times of persecution, you know what I found? That the lion has no teeth. And no bad news cycle usually lasts more than two weeks. So our church has been growing. God has been adding to the church daily. People are getting saved and discipled. And the church has grown. And what I will tell you is that churches are built for times of war. And you know what? Further to that point, so are you. And I want to say just this one thing before I get started. You are going to make it. And you know how I know that? Because you're in church on Sunday when it's raining. You're the real deal people. I'm so proud of you. Well, I'm excited to speak into relationships today. It's one of my most favorite things to speak into. I've been married for almost 29 years. I'm only 46. I got married at 17. I was a fetal bride. Um, <laughs> I met the man I wanted to marry, and I'm like, that's it, it's done. And I said yes before I had a chance to kind of really figure out what I was signing up for. And we certainly have had a marriage of highs and lows, and I just want to take all the pressure off today. Every marriage is like that. Every marriage goes through seasons. Every marriage goes through tough times and difficult seasons. The storms, Pastor Penny was talking about, but if you have Jesus at the center, and the Bible talks about it in the book of Ecclesiastes, two are better than one. A threefold cord is not easily broken. And the third part of that threefold cord is Jesus. If you put Jesus in the center of your marriage, nothing you go through will break you. You may be shaken, but you won't be broken. I like that. Somebody say amen. So the title of my message today is Big Little Things. And I'm going to read you a passage of scripture from the book of Song of Solomon. Now, Solomon was the smartest, wisest man that ever lived. So whatever he says, we need to pick up and take to heart. And so in this romantic book, this Song of Solomon, where they talk about love and romance, there's a tiny little scripture that I want to frame this entire message on. And it goes like this in Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15. Catch the foxes for us. And they're not talking about women here, by the way. This is like the little, the little forest creatures. The little foxes that spoil and ruin the vineyards of love, while our vineyards are in blossom. So the author here, Solomon, is talking about the little things that can destroy the big and the valuable things. So back in Israel's time, more often than not, a vineyard wasn't destroyed because of fire or flood or pestilence. It was those sneaky little foxes, those rascally, sometimes cute-looking, very subtle critters that would come in the dead of night and they would dig a hole and they would gnaw away at the roots of the vine. And so little bit by little bit, they gnaw away at the roots of the vine, unbeknownst to the vine dresser, unbeknownst to the farmer, until one day he wakes up and his vine is dead. You know, true for the vineyard, true for a lot of marriages. When my husband and I had been married about 15 years, we went through one of the hardest seasons of our lives. We have four children, uh, three sons and a daughter. My eldest son is 26 years old. And uh, we went through a season when my son was a teenager where he was very heavily caught up in a cycle of drug addiction. And we found that in that season, because often in, in seasons of shaking and persecution, you can find that a whole lot of stuff will come out. 
Like, but if you've got good bones, like the song, doesn't matter if the paint's peeling, but if you've got good bones. And so we sat in a therapist's office because we found during this season that instead of fighting for each other, we were fighting against each other. And the stress and the trauma and everything that was happening around us had us at each other's throats. And maybe that's what 2020 looked like for you. Maybe the 2020 season and the fact that you weren't isolated, but you were stuck in the same house and you were confronted with all your issues. You had a full length mirror in front of you and in front of your spouse and it felt like all your chickens came home to roost and you found like your marriage was shaking. That's where we were. And we sat in a therapist's office and I couldn't believe what came out. It was like as we were talking to the therapist about each other, it was like we just got to the point where we just about despised each other. And at the end, after she let us vent and vent and vent and vent some more for hours, she looked at us and she said, you know what, guys? You don't have big problems. You actually have a whole lot of little problems that you never dealt with. And the thing about those little problems is we think we can sweep them under the rug. But eventually that rug will become a tripping hazard and then you end up in divorce court citing something called irreconcilable differences when it didn't have to be that way. So right now, this morning, we're going to deal with some big little things. Can somebody say amen? Oh, I like you guys. All right. Give the people next to you another smile. Say, it's all good. It's all good. Happy, happy, joy, joy. Now, what you need to know about most Australians is that we... We're not on purpose honest, we just are. We cannot lie. We're like Jim Carrey out of Dumb and Dumber. I can't lie. So I'm a very nice person. I love people. I'm kind, but I can't lie. It's impossible. So if I offend you, I didn't mean it. So just sit there and just go, hurt so good, hurt so good. And I would say to you today, if you're not in a church where you feel a little bit uncomfortable every now and then, you're in the wrong church. You need to be in a place where, where you're allowed to be kind of like sharpened and hear things that maybe you don't want to hear, but you need to hear. So we're going to talk about some little things that cause big problems in a marriage if they're not addressed. The first one is this. Feel free to write them down and have a little convo with your spouse later. The first one is little gratitude. Little gratitude. You think about what you probably, like me, despise about most about this current generation. Entitlement. That spirit of entitlement where, because I'm breathing, I should be getting. And I deserve it, and I want it, and I need it. And listen, when we come into a marriage, we should have some expectations. We should have expectations of provision and protection and to be cherished and honoured and for our spouse to be faithful to us. But the problem is when we come into marriage and we've got expectations and they're healthy expectations, if they're not also matched with gratitude, it becomes an entitlement. As opposed to this is something I am grateful for. I am grateful for my husband who gets up in the morning and goes to work and brings home the bacon and I am grateful for my wife who keeps the home and looks after the kids instead of where we're like, well, yeah, well, I deserve it. Well, you're my husband, aren't you? Well, you're my wife and you should. Nothing will destroy a marriage more quickly than the cancer of entitlement and ingratitude. The therapist, when she sat with us all those years ago, just looked at me and she said, Leanne, when was the last time as I heard the burdens of my husband? And um, I, I remember just being, in, I had no idea. And I think sometimes we can forget uh, the burden that the, the leader of a house carries, making sure that that load is, is shouldered. And she said, when was the last time you looked in your husband's eyes and said, thank you? And I honestly couldn't answer her because I couldn't remember the last time I said thank you because I'd become ungrateful. In the busyness of our doing, of holding a marriage together, I forgot the simple thing, the simple principle, the powerful principle, the little thing of saying thank you. We might think today 
but this is just, oh, well, that's so insignificant. I could have watched that on Oprah. I'm telling you, right now, it's those little things, those little foxes that spoil the vine. Can I ask you the same question that the therapist asked me all those years ago? When was the last time you said thank you to your spouse? I remember uh, having a conversation with my husband and, uh, you know, we were just chatting about the Proverbs 31 woman. And she is, in the Bible, the woman held up as the gold standard across the earth. I mean, she's amazing. She considers a field, she buys it, she rises while it is still night and she makes meals for her household. She puts her hand to the distaff, the Bible says. She strengthens her arm, she's buff, she goes to the gym, she's got it all going on. And most men would say, well, I want a woman like that. I want a Proverbs 31 woman with the, the body of a Victoria's Secret model. Yes, Jesus, that's what I want. I'll put that on my prayer list. But have you, have you ever thought about what kind of man it took to keep and catch a woman like that? Because the Proverbs 31 story isn't just about a, a woman of great virtue and value. It's about the kind of man that created an environment for that woman to flourish. And we come down on Vision Sunday and we got our vision card and we're writing our list of what we want. But are we creating an environment of value and appreciation so if God sent you that person, you could keep them? (laughs) Can I ask you today, when was the last time you said, thank you, I'm grateful? Look in their eyes. When I did that, I'm telling you, both of us broke down. We, we don't realize sometimes the burden that our spouses carry, sometimes silently, and usually the men folk, because remember, they were alone before God brought uh, Eve to Adam, and he didn't even ask for Eve. He was happy as a little clam, <laughs> hanging out with the animals. And as God is like, um, um, it's not good for men to be alone. Oh, dear. I don't know what he saw Adam doing to come to that conclusion, but he decided he needs a wife. So he was quite comfortable being alone, and then God brings it. So we're going to understand sometimes your husband, your wife, may carry a burden and be silent about it. It's not your time to pipe off, but to look in their eyes like I was challenged to do. Thank you. I love you and I am grateful. And you'll find anything that you appreciate goes up in value. Point number two, little words. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will always hurt me. And my husband and I learnt this the hard way. And that's the thing about relationships. We're in such close proximity that we know each other's triggers and vulnerabilities. And it's a terrible thing to use your spouse's vulnerability against them. And I remember being in our early years of marriage, we would just call each other names as sure as the day is long. If we were fighting, we were slinging insults. Uh, I mean, we didn't know any better. Uh, We came from families where this was just common. And we'd wonder why we just feel so bruised and bludgeoned our entire day. And the Bible says that the words of the reckless pierce like a sword... But the the tongue of the wise brings healing. But we were using our words to bludgeon one another. And I would would know exactly what to say to trigger my husband. And and we'd be in an argument. I remember we were in an argument one time and he was winning, which could not happen. (laughs) No. I am woman, hear me roar. And I thought, well, what can I say to bring him to his knees? And I knew exactly what to say. And I looked at him and I said, You are just like your father. And I just saw him deflate in front of my eyes. And then we keep keep winding up. And then he would say to me, well, you're a psycho. (laughs) And man, I just want to tell you this one thing. If you call a woman a psycho, she will become one. (laughs) Remember in the beginning, God brought the animals to Adam and said, whatever you call them, they will become. He was teaching him a principle. If you want your wife to be a psycho, call her one. And I'd be like, oh, buddy, you ain't seen nothing yet. And I would like wind up and we'd just destroy each other verbally. But it's also worth saying, and I told the first service this, men, every woman, every woman is at least 10% psycho. (laughs) And some it is way, way, way higher. 
and every man is 10% jerk. So if we just get that, if we just know all the men, my wife's a psycho. No, everybody's wife is a psycho. My husband is a jerk. They all are a little bit. <laughs> little words, little words. We've got to learn how to fight right. The Bible says be angry and you will have some sparks in your relationship, but sin not. If you're married to a confident human, if you're married to somebody with a pulse, there will be issues, but don't fall into sin. And I'm telling you, after you've spoken that word, it sticks on the soul a lot longer than the lifetime of the argument. And we found as we sat in that therapist's office that there was a whole lot of conversation we had to have about words that were spoken that lingered on our souls. I call them sticky words, little words. Maybe you're in a position today where you've been using your words to hurt instead of build. The Bible says that a wise person builds their house, but a foolish one tears it down with their hands. And I can think of no quicker way to tear down your own household by using your words to destroy instead of build. Somebody say amen. Okay, you're hanging in there? All right, if at the end you've got all seven or eight of these and you can yell out bingo. All right, number three, little affection. I read an interesting study the other, t- other day in Psychology Today that said a lack of affection is the number one, somebody say number one, reason that couples seek therapy. You and I were created divinely for touch. Do you know that in the beginning when God was creating the heavens and the earth, the Bible says that he spoke, let there be light, and there was. And then he spoke the animals into existence, and he spoke the land into existence, and he spoke the water into existence, and he spoke and the mountains formed their peaks. But then once he was done creating the world with his words, he got very personal. And the Bible says that the Lord formed man. He got his hands involved. He got all touchy-feely. The Lord formed man from the dust of the earth and then breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. We've just gone through a season of COVID, wicked, wicked, wicked season, where they've told us it's actually good for us to not touch and to socially distance. Listen, I don't know why the powers that be made that law, but I do know that the devil is an opportunist and he used it to tear people apart. I want to say to you today, I realize that affection and touch in marriage can trigger a lot of people because of abuses and experiences that we've gone through. But I want to say to you today, if you're in a marriage relationship, one of the only things that differs between you and a roommate is intimacy. And I'm talking about the the lovemaking. I'm talking about sex today. And if I had a dollar after 29 years of pastoring... For every relationship that was full of resentment and a root of bitterness was able to grow up because of a lack of intimacy, I would be a very, very rich woman. But I want to say to you today, maybe that triggers you because of something you've experienced. God has a really great track record at dealing with and healing sexually broken people. You may have some issues in that area in your marriage, but for the love of God, Do not let it stay that way. God wants you to enjoy a life and a life in abundance. What did Jesus say in John 10.10? For I have come that you may have life and life in its fullness. And that means enjoying your spouse in the marriage relationship with intimacy in all its fullness. 1 Corinthians 7.4 says this, The wife does not have exclusive authority over her own body. Uh Uh-oh. New Testament, I don't think the feminists are going to like that one. I think they pull this out of their Bible. The wife does not have exclusive authority over her own body. Ouch. But the husband shares with her, all right? And likewise, the husband does not have exclusive authority over his own body. I bet the men are just, uh, ain't that a cry in shame? Jeez. Oh, well, honey, what does the Bible say? It's all yours. Come on, then. 
I say about the five love languages, and look, I know I'm not, I'm not trying to box all men, but there's five love, love languages, unless you're male, then there's only two. <laughs> Words of affirmation, physical touch. Touch me, tell me I'm awesome, I'm good. Love tank is full. Do not deprive each other of marital rights, except perhaps by mutual consent for a time, so that you may devote yourselves unhindered to prayer. But come again, together again, so that Satan will not tempt you to sin because of your lack of self-control. Understand this, we are all responsible for our own responses when we go through seasons of drought, but please understand this also, that the Bible is really clear about us opening a door to temptation and an unnecessary level of stress when we allow our marriages to go through a season where there is no affection, no intimacy. You were created for touch. And I find if you don't touchy-feely the right person, you end up being tempted to touchy-feely the wrong person. If we don't outwork things in the healthy way, in the blessed way, God blessed it. God blessed it. Sex is the act of marriage. And regardless of what you've experienced in your lifetime, maybe in previous relationships or traumas you've been through, I know that God wants to make things better than they've been. And I've seen it. I've seen it with my own eyes. You may be broken today, but don't stay that way. God came to heal the brokenhearted and you can have the relationship that you have always dreamed of, little affection. Amen. All right, I'm going to have to have a drink because you guys are all uh, so quiet out there. I'll drink to that. All right, you're hanging in there? All right. Little forgiveness. Fox number four. Little forgiveness. I remember a time in my marriage, and it wasn't, I'm ashamed to say, wasn't that many years ago, maybe five or so years ago. My husband and I had just dropped off our son at youth group, and we were driving back through San Diego, and he wanted to take me out for dinner, and when he said, I want to take you out for dinner for a date night, I was immediately pumped, like we're going to go somewhere with ambience and white tablecloths, and it's going to be amazing and romantic. And then we drive past, and he sees this big neon sign that says Rock Bottom Brewery. He's like, oh my gosh, because he's American now and he loves everything about America. <laughs> and he sees a chain restaurant and he just wants to taste and sit at the buffet of them all. And so he sees Rock Bottom Brewery. Now I had plans in my head that we would go to a restaurant that didn't have laminated menus and where you didn't have to wear a bib to partake of the food. But nonetheless, <laughs> He pulls the car in to the parking lot and he's like pumped out of his brain and he sees the rock bottom where he's like, babe, we're going to have the time of our lives. And he jumps out of the car and he's happy as a clam. This is the day, ha, this is the day that the Lord has made. I'm going to have some wings. And then I'm like, because my best laid plans that I hadn't spoken my expectation that had led to entitlement had not been understood. He's not a mind reader. Wow. I'm like getting mad as he's walking in, happy as he could be. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we never get to go where I want to go. We always have to go where Jürgen wants to go. In fact, our whole married lives, we have always had to do what Jürgen wants to do. And I'm dragging the chain. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows my sorrow. And then we sit across from each other in the pleather booth and he orders his big pile of chicken wings and he's got a big mug of ale. He looks like King Henry VIII and he's living his best life and I'm just getting madder and madder sitting across from him in the booth and he looks over at me, he's like, babe, what's wrong? I said, I, I was just sitting here thinking about something really mean that you did to me 22 years ago. <sighs> I just had our first son and it was a hard traumatic birth. I had to have two epidurals to cope and afterwards I asked you, why would God allow this to happen to me 
and you told me it was probably because there was sin in my life? <laughs> now, man, you all feel real good about yourselves right now. You haven't said anything like that before. And he just looked at me and he got one greasy chicken wing finger and he pointed it in my face and he said, Leon Metesius, you stop it. You are not a victim. That's why I'm happy I'm married to an alpha male and not a beta male because I would grind that man into the dust. But he just pointed his finger and he said, you are not a victim. I apologized for that. You need to forgive me and let it go. I have treated you like a princess since that point. He shut me up good. I just grabbed a wing and nibbled it in the corner. Ashamed of myself. And I remember going home and just feeling so embarrassed, like, what is wrong with me? And it was so simple. God just said to me, Leanne, you haven't forgiven him. It's been 22 years and you still have a ledger in your brain of all the things he ever did wrong. You could work for the flippin' FBI. <laughs> and then he said, it's like you... You enter these great moments and you're having fun and you're having a good time and then all of a sudden you'll have a thought, ding, and then you'll run back into 1990 and you'll get a shovel and you'll dig up a memory, a corpse from 22 years ago and you'll grab it and you will sit it next to you in the booth at Rock Bottom Brewery and then you'll be like, why does my life stink? Why does my marriage stink? Why does every relationship I have ever stink? I was responsible for the smell. I was digging up something that was dead and buried and planting it in my future and ruining a good today over a bad yesterday. And I'm telling you, it's those little things. No relationship can flourish if one party is continually bringing up the mistakes of the other over and over and over and over again, and then we wonder why our life stinks, why the vineyard, the blossom, the, the vine of our love has gotten destroyed. Could it be that we keep bringing up the past? Now, if the problem's reoccurring and present, that's not bringing up the past, it's bringing up the present. But for the things that are done and dead and buried, it is enough now. Stop it. Learn from me. Had the best husband in the world and the Bible tells us the Lord wants to do something new. Forget about the past. Something new will spring forth. Shall you not know it? And many of us can't see who our spouse is because we're so obsessed with who they were. And it's time. If you want to deal with those little foxes and you have to forgive, the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Do you know what that means? At the end of the day, you've got to do an inventory with God. God, that hurt me. What they said made me, made, made me angry and I felt rejected. I felt neglected. I felt overlooked. I felt insulted. But Father, I make a decision today. I'm going to release it to you. The Bible says, forgive and release it to God. Forgive and release it to God. And maybe today you're in a situation and you're feeling like, I, I don't feel like I can forgive. I don't want to forgive. I don't feel like I can and I don't want to be disingenuous. Well, here's the thing about forgiveness. It's not a feeling. It's an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. You've got to let it go. Do like what the prophet Elsa told us to do. Let it go. Let it go. It's enough now. Don't be like me. <laughs> Point number five, little friendships. And we're coming to a close, so I'm going to move fast. One of the big reasons that marriage relationships end is because there were no friends who would get all up in their business and their grill to tell them when they weren't behaving right. And we actually need the proximity. This is why church is so important. This is why not just attending and sitting up the back and then going before you have a chance to connect with anybody, but actually making deep, meaningful relationships. You don't need to be friends with everybody. But if you could just get a handful of good Christian friends who can tell you and speak into your world things that nobody else will say. And they've got to be close enough to see the real you. To be able to say to you, you shouldn't talk to your wife that way. To be able to say to the wife, hey, you, you shouldn't be dishonoring your husband like that. 
to be able to say to the couple, your kids are out of control. You need to do something with this situation. We actually all need that. I remember when I first got married and I got married and I moved nations and I went into ministry all in one fell swoop and I had no business doing any of those three, but I did them all at once. And I had no idea what I was doing. And you'll find that if you only have your parents' model to go off and you don't sharpen yourself with some good godly friendships, then divorce and marriage breakdown can actually be systemic. But God wants to break the cycle of divorce and marriage breakdown and it happens in community. It happens when we allow people in to see the real us. And when I was a young woman and we just ended up in marriage, I found myself very resentful over the ministry demands. My husband and I were at each other's throats. I remember one Sunday standing in church. I was 19 at the time. We were youth pastors. And uh, I had plans to go and have a romantic night with my husband that probably didn't include sex, but actually just going out to have dinner together. And he had plans to have the entire youth ministry over for dinner. And so neither of us had communicated our plans, just both had unspoken expectations. We started to get into a fight in the front of church during praise and worship. And nobody had ever told me, you don't fight with your husband in public. So I thought, I'm going to fight with my husband in public. I have something to say. I'm going to say it. I'm Australian. We say things. And we were fighting. And I remember I grabbed his arm really aggressively. And then he grabbed my arm really aggressively. And we're about to, as pastors, get into a physical fight in the front row of church. (laughs) And then out of nowhere, this woman, an angel, Robin Cooney, I just saw this, this blonde perm rushing towards me as I'm about to lose my ever-loving mind. I was like the Tasmanian devil. And I was like, I was like, here's my plan. Going to kill my husband, then take my own life. All good. And then she runs up and she just puts her arm around me. And she says, oh, Leanne, I've always wanted to meet you. Thank you for being looking after our youth. I've always wanted to thank you and your husband for the amazing way that you look after the young people in this church, I would love to take you for lunch. How does your Monday look? How do things look tomorrow? And I immediately just felt myself calming down and peace came. And this was the beginning of a 10-year, while we lived in New Zealand, very close relationship where she taught me how to be a wife, a mother, and she actually taught me how to be a pleasant person that other people would wanna be around. You know, the last words of Jesus were, go into the whole world and make disciples, baptizing them. But then it goes on to say, and teach them everything I have commanded you. And I think oftentimes in church, we can abandon people at the point of the hard conversation. And I'm telling you, it was the hard conversation that changed me. I wouldn't be who I am if it wasn't for Robin Cooney. I I don't know if I'd even be married. At the very least, I'd be a bitter pastor's wife in the back row, swirling a Starbucks like a witch's boot, scowling at the parishioners for stealing my life. It's little friendships. I thank God for Troy and Penny. I thank God for the times that they showed up in our mess, in the throes of our son's addiction and gave us counsel. We don't know what we don't know. And the Bible says, my people, that's you and I, Christians, believers, perish because of a lack of knowledge. And we only become knowledgeable when we spend time with the godly men and women that he's placed in our world and they're there. Don't say there's no one for me, lie, wrong, impossible. Because I know the heart of God and he loves you. And he will make a way where there is no way. And you pray them in. Father, I thank you for my friends. I thank you for my version of Troy and Penny who will stand alongside me and help me and sharpen me. The Bible says, uh, iron sharpens an iron. As iron sharpens iron, so too does a man sharpen the countenance of his friend. Our friends, if they're godly friends, if they're wise friends, will make us better than we've been. And thank God for that. How are we going for time there? Oh, all right. Little patience, little patience. Life is seasonal and cyclical. And like, I would love to tell you that your husband or your wife will be consistent right throughout their lifetime. It's just not true. Both men and women go through seasons. They go through ups and downs. I love the story of Elkanah in the book of 1 Samuel. Elkanah was Hannah's husband. 
There is a really profound scripture and story that I think is so beautiful and speaks to the character of this man. The Bible says that Hannah was barren and she couldn't give Elkanah a son. And back then, that was a big deal. That was a deal breaker. She couldn't give him what he needed. But the next verse says this, but Elkanah loved Hannah and he gave her a double portion. Even though for a season, she couldn't give him what he needed, he didn't stop loving her, right? Now that's a man, that's a beautiful man. Both husbands and wives will go through seasons. I remember my husband went through a season in his late 40s and I know he won't mind me sharing this and again, I'm honest and transparent, where he went through just a season where he just felt very discouraged and downhearted and he was actually going through like a male change of life. And during that process, he didn't need me to beat on him because he wasn't the same upbeat man that he's always been. And where's your spark? And things just weren't like they were before. And I'm leaving. Ah, you change. Ah, Stop it. It's a season. Seasons change. Winter passes and spring comes again. But can you be the same person when your spouse is going through a season? But you've got to be patient. For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. Your marriage vows are a bridge that will get you over every troubled water. Maybe you're suffering with little patience today. First Peter 3.7 says this, Likewise, ye husbands, put your hand up if you're a ye husband. That's Kanye, yep. Dwell with your wives with understanding. Do you know why the Bible says that? Because sometimes your wives are going to be hard to understand. And that's why you married her. Why can't you be like me, more like me? Well, thank God she's not more like you because then she'd be a man and it would be very awkward. (laughs) Dwell with your wives with understanding, giving honour to the wife as the weaker vessel. Let me explain this here. Weaker vessel does not mean less valuable vessel. Usually when it comes to vessels, the weaker, more fragile, delicate vessel is actually the more expensive item. But basically what the Bible is telling us here is that not to put a burden on the wife that she is not built to carry. She's she's fit and now society will tell you, oh my gosh, no, you're just projecting. That's a social construct. Fooey. There are some things that a woman are meant to carry and there's some things they're not. And you'll find if they're carrying things that they shouldn't be carrying, then they'll start to break and then you'll call her a crackpot. Give honour to the wife. Understand she has seasons. Dwell with her with understanding. Little patience. Maybe it's little sins today. You're in a place, Freedom House Church, where they're not asking you to pretend. I, you know, a lot of churches, and I love America, and I'm I'm not hustling America because I am American, but when we first came to the States, I was shocked with how much pretending happened in church. Because in Australia, you don't, you don't go to church unless you mean it. You're at the beach or you're at football on Sunday. You don't just go to church to tick a box. If you go to church, you mean it. But I was struck with a lot of the pretending. And I want to say to you today, you're in a healthy house where transparency isn't just allowed, it's encouraged. God doesn't want you to pretend to look right. In fact, he came to the Pharisees back when he was on earth and he said, you're whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but on the inside of you is dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. God is a minister of the heart. When he looks at you, he sees your heart first. He's a minister of the heart. And today God is speaking to your heart. He's speaking to the most important part of you. Maybe there's a little sin in there today, something that you've thought you could hide. And what did 2020 show us, especially in the church world? You can't hide anything long-term. You can try for a while, but that little hidden sin that you think you're gonna get away with, that little fox, that little problem will eventually have some big consequences. And we see it in the life of King David. One little look, one little glance at a pornography site, standing at the peak of his castle and looking over and seeing a very attractive naked woman, for whatever reason, bathing on a rooftop. Strange. But nevertheless, that's what he saw. And that little sin, because he didn't immediately call for Nathan the prophet and say, oh my gosh, I saw something. And I'm telling you, I'm finding it really hard to get this image out of my head. 
That's the power of the visual. That's why the enemy is so strategic at getting our young boys immersed in a culture of porn because he knows if he gets them there with the little fox, he'll be able to ruin their life in the future. So King David looks and he sees, and instead of confessing to Nathan, instead of coming to Freedom House and saying, I got a problem, I got a problem. And we all have them, by the way, we all have them. He, he kept it in his heart. And before long, he calls for Bathsheba. He's like, I've got to have that woman I spied. Next thing we see is an adulterous affair. Then we see a baby born as, as a result out of wedlock. And then a murder. The Bible says, don't be mistaken, your sins will find you out. What is concealed and hidden will be made known. So my advice to you as a pastor is tell on yourself before your sins tell on you. And there is nothing so dire that God cannot fix it. I've seen the most messed up relationships and I'm talking about adulterous affair, I'm talking about all kinds of things be restored when the two people came together and surrendered it all to Jesus and made themselves accountable, little sins. Maybe today this is the word you needed to hear. And then finally, little prayers. You think about all the things that you would pray for in your life. I'm praying for that job and I'm praying for that friend who's sick and I'm praying for the government. God knows they need it. And I'm praying for this and I'm praying for that. But have you prayed for your spouse? Even you single people out there and you're writing your vision card. Oh, I want him to have the heart of King David and the body of Dwayne the Rock Johnson. And I'm trying to think. I don't know. He's probably good. Oh, the literary skills of Noah from Notebook. We write all these things down. But have you prayed for them? Pray. I'm praying. My Two of my children are married, but I'm praying for their spouses. My, my other two children, I'm praying for their spouses right now. I'm praying for them in advance. If you're a single person, you don't get a pass today. You're actually blessed because you get to learn before the test. But start to pray for that spouse. Pray for their heart. Pray for them to have a God encounter. Pray for them to hear the love of the Lord. Pray for them to have a revelation of God's love. Pray for their dreams. Pray for your spouse. I found that I spent a lot of time complaining to my spouse about my spouse. And God so rebuked me and said, Leanne, you have a great prayer life for all these other things. But when was the last time you prayed for your husband? I think because of their proximity, we think, I'm not going to pray about you. I'm just going to complain at you. And then we become that dripping tap that the Bible talks about, whether male or female, and we wonder why our spouse wants to retreat to the corner of a rooftop. Why are you on the rooftop? Because you're complaining. And I found that the Lord spoke to me and said, you've got to vent in the right direction. It doesn't mean that we don't have the conversations that need to be had physically, but there comes a time where you have to cast your cares upon the Lord, for He cares for you. And I found that while I could wear my husband out with my complaining, with my nagging, with my requests, there is one who we can never wear out without continual coming. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Maybe you're in a, a dry stage in your relationship right now. Have you prayed about it? I remember hearing a story about Billy Graham when he visited Australia. And it was during a, a time in history when a whole lot of marriages were breaking up. A ton of marriages were breaking up. And uh, this reporter got all up in Billy Graham's grill and said, look at all the divorces that are happening in the church. Finally, now you can admit that mankind was not meant to be monogamous, that they were going to have multiple partners. This marriage thing doesn't work. What would you do, Billy Graham, if you woke up one morning and you no longer had any love in your heart for your wife? And you just saw his eyes glaze over a little bit and him get a little bit teary, a little misty. And he put his hand, head down. It was like he was asking the Lord for wisdom, like, God, what do I say? What would I do? And he took his time and then he lifted up his head and the camera was panned squarely on him. And he said, if I woke up one morning and I realized I had no more love in my heart for my wife, I'd get down on my knees and I'd pray. And I wouldn't get back up again until that love returned. I'm telling you, it's a powerful thing. We think prayers don't work. Maybe they've just become numb in your mind, but prayers change things. 
And more than us, more than anything, they change us. They change us. So as we come to a close, and I've gone way over time, I want to do this. I want every person to stand. And I know we have two types of people in this room today. We have married people and we have singles. So if you're next to your spouse, I want you to grab them. I want you to really grab them like a teenager would grab their spouse or their girlfriend or boyfriend. And I want you to put your arms like lovingly. Maybe for you, this has been a long time coming and you've been so busy trying to keep the family together during 2020 and there's been financial pressure and health pressure and you've had relational breakups and just the stress you forgot to be and you loved them. Remember what it was like when you first got married? And you couldn't keep your hands off each other. And now it's like you barely want to touch each other. God wants to fix that. He wants things to be better than they've been. Maybe give her a little kiss on the head, man. Just look down. Just love her. Love her. Love her. She wants to be loved. Honor her today. And if you're, maybe you're here and your spouse isn't here, just pray gently for them right now. And if you're single, pray in advance. God is the best matchmaker. And if you have a desire in your heart to be married, it was put there by the Lord. Trust Him. Don't compromise. Trust Him. If He could hand make Eve for Adam, and if He could bring Rebecca to Isaac, He has someone just for you. And now let me just pray a blessing upon you. Father, I thank You for this incredible group of people. Father, I thank You that we are going to go after those little foxes. We are not going to let... Those things live which are threatening to destroy the vineyards of our love. We make a covenant today. And some of you are going to have vow renewals. And you're going to go home and you're going to talk through some of these issues. And there's going to be repentance and apology. And love will grow where indifference once was. You can make it. You're going to come through. Everything is going to be all right. God is with you. God is with you. His hand is upon your life. He was there on the day that you said your vows. He was the invisible guest. A threefold cord is not easily broken. And maybe today your marriage is hanging by a thread, but if you got Jesus in the center, you are unbreakable. Thank you, Father. Strengthen that which is weary. Lift up the weary hands and strengthen the feeble knees. And I declare blessing over every marriage that is, and every marriage that will be, in Jesus' mighty name. Somebody say a huge amen. Amen. Come on, give God a shout for all He's done and all He's doing. God bless you. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we encourage you to spread the word. Share with your friends and family on social media and make sure you subscribe to hear a new message every week really love the message? Well, we want to hear from you. Make sure to leave us a review below. Want more Freedom House content? Follow us on Instagram at Freedom House and subscribe to Freedom House Church on YouTube. We hope you are equipped to experience all that God has for you this week, and we'll see you for our next Freedom House Church weekend message.